Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome into another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. Seku Smith here in Portland trying to digest one Western Conference semifinal that doesn't want to seem to end before seven games. My main man, John Schumann, back in New Jersey after uh, the latest episode of the Kawhi Leonard Show. Yes, I am back in Jersey, waiting to go back to Toronto. And yes, just trying to put Kawhi Leonard in some sort of context because what he's been doing has been ridiculous and ridiculously efficient. Yeah, he's been awesome. Crazy weekend of playoff basketball under our belts today. Two game fours in the books. Two more scheduled tonight, obviously. The Warriors and Rockets, we'll, we'll dive into this whole Steph meme and all that's going on with that series. That's a, that's a tough one to figure exactly how to break that down. Milwaukee and Boston, the other series that is hanging in the balance right now. But shoot, let's start with your series. The, the Raptors, to me, and this is from afar, just trying to digest exactly what they've got going on. Am I overstating the opinion about Kyle Lowry and that he should be riding the, the, the wave of the Kawhi train? Like, you know, just get behind it, draft off a of Kawhi and play your tail off, as opposed to all this kind of strange back and forth about where he fits and whether he's the number two guy, what, you know, whether he's number three guy and when he's taking shots. Why do I feel like Lowry is doing Lowry right now during this series instead of just rolling with it? Yeah, I think he gets caught up in the narrative a little too much, but that's been like the the Kyle Lowry in the playoffs has been the narrative in Toronto for like five years now. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. like, and it's one of those things where, and it's the same thing with like Steph Curry in the Golden State series. If the team's winning, then any individual's numbers aren't that big of a deal unless, you know, if they're not good, like any individual's poor shooting isn't that big of a deal. Right. But once they lose a game, then that's like, okay, who's, you know, we lost. Why do we lose? And then who's shooting poorly? Okay. You know, Kyle Lowry is, you know, only averaging X amount of points on X percent shooting through the series. What's the problem? And then that becomes the story for the next day. And that's the questions. Hey, what, you know, what's wrong? And then the coach, you know, how do you get him going? And then the other players, how do you get him going? You know, like that's, it becomes such a focus, a focal point in the playoffs, you know, less so in the regular season. If a guy has a few games off, you know, everything is magnified. So you see it all over the place, really. Now that the Sixers lost, it's, you know, you go back to focus. Okay. Why, you know, what happened to Joel Embiid? Why did uh, Tobias Harris not have a good game? What happened to Ben Simmons? Like, it's just the way it is, I think. And, and I think it's important for players to just not get caught up in that. Like even with Curry, you know, if Durant's playing well and the defense is playing well, then who cares if Curry's missing some shots? Same thing with, with, with Lowry. Like if Kawhi Leonard is carrying them and, you know, they're slowing down the Sixers and they win, it doesn't matter. Um, I, th- I did think he played better uh, in game four yesterday than he had previously in the series. Mm-hmm. Hit a couple of big, you know, scored the first five points for Toronto, stepped into a comfortable three, uh, early on, I think that was a good sign. And then 
at the start of the fourth with Leonard on the bench, you know, score is tied to start the fourth and Leonard is on the bench. And those have been the awful minutes for the the Raptors so far in that series. He came, he got a huge bucket on a drive scoring over Embiid basically uh, with a lefty uh, sort of scoop layup type thing. Um, that was just huge. And so with the way Leonard is playing, um, they just need something. And I thought they got something from him. They got something a little bit more from Gasol. They got a little bit more from Ibaka. Siakam obviously was uh, feeling the effects of his calf injury. He was two for 10 and the two, the two, the two makes were both dunks. So he's basically 0 for 7 outside the restricted area. The adjustment they made was playing big, and I thought that worked well, you know, playing Ibaka and Gasol together. It's amazing. Like, this is something they didn't do all season. You know, from day one, Nick Nurse came in, and he made Ibaka a center. For the most part, he was the starting center with Valanchunas backing him up. He, him and Valanchunas barely played together, like less than 20 minutes or something together. While Valanchunas was there, then comes Gasol. Gasol starts, Ibaka goes to the bench, but they barely played together. They played 31 minutes together in the regular season, three minutes together through their first eight playoff games. And then all of a sudden, it's like, all right, we're going to play big now. It's just amazing how like you could not do something for six months, and then all of a sudden in a playoff series with your season basically on the line because you're down two to one in the series, you go to something that you haven't done <laughs> at all. It's it, and it worked. You know, they played 23 plus minutes together. They were plus seven together in that game. They played basically the whole fourth quarter together, uh, Ibaka and Gasol. Um, until like the last minute when the um, Sixers started fouling. Didn't we talk about this, though, about them maybe having to, not necessarily together, but to lean on them in some form or fashion to get through this series? I mean, Embiid's the biggest issue for you if you're dealing with the Sixers. And just the size in general with the Sixers, yeah. you know, and and they're, they're sort of alternate, you know, they're still starting the same group. If Siakam can play, he's going to start at power forward. Right. But their second unit is generally like, Lowry and Van Vliet and so like you're you're playing you're now playing small across and their power forward is either Leonard or Norman Powell right and so I think it's just the size in general has been an issue for them and and so they sized up you know in game four in the second half they only played six guys like it was the starters and Ibaka it was the only guys that played in the second half Powell did not play Patrick McCall who played a few minutes in the first half did not play uh in the second half i don't think Van Vliet played in the second half. Desperate times, I guess, you know, like it, it, it was uh, it was interesting to watch, but, you know, credit them for coming up big. You know, Leonard hit some big shots, but Gasol and Ibaka both hit big shots in that fourth quarter too. So, and I think the defense was the, the most important thing. And I think that's where the two bigs together uh, really made the biggest impact was defensively. In the playoffs where we're watching teams, you know, deliver punches and then take them and deliver one and then take one. What, what's the Sixers counterpunch on short like you know on a, I mean they got it one they got to hope Joel Embiid is healthy you know it's just amazing the guy you know in all five the guy was basically questionable to play or a game time decision in all five first round games because of his knee the knee is still a lingering issue I think um, we've seen him hobble on it a little bit in this round but then in game two he has like a stomach issue that he played through and then Coming to game four, he's got some sort of flu, some sort of bug that had him sick and thrown up also. Like, so it's just the guy is the most important player on that. Dramatic year or what? Huh? It's getting a little dramatic, aren't we? I guess. I guess. I mean, it's he's the most important player on that team for sure. Mm -hmm. And even 
though he was sick and shot poorly and, and you know barely scored in game four, they were still a plus, I want to say plus 17, I think, with him on the floor, plus 16, something like that, mm-hmm. with him on the floor, which means they just got destroyed in his minutes off the floor. Um, in like the 15 minutes that he sat, you know, they got outscored by 21, 22 points, something like that. Um, so that just tells you how important he is and and that, you know, his, his issues weren't really the problem for them uh, in game four. And it's just a... You know, I think after game one of this series, I was, you know, just sit, talking with some Sixers writers. And it's just so easy just to watch that game and just start pointing out the flaws in the Sixers. Like, oh, they don't have anybody mm-hmm. who can guard Leonard. And, you know, they only have one guy who can really space the floor and yada, yada. And then, like, it, the series flips. And then now we're back to, to two to two. And it's just like a, a game of survival. Like, I don't know at the end of the series if we're going to know who's the better team. I think one team's just going to have scratched out four wins and moves on while the other is going to be ridiculously disappointed and be able to point to a couple of things that, that hurt them. But I don't know that we know in this series, who's the, who's the better team. Really? I just think, I mean, that's to me, that's kind of the way all these series go, John. It's about as much as it is about who's the better team. It's about who's the team that can survive this time of year, the circumstances that are thrown at you. But this is, this is early for it to get to this point. Like, you know, like to have this and maybe three of the four, that's that scenario that I just described and maybe three of the four conference semifinals is, I I don't know. I I can't remember anything like it. Like which one do you think doesn't have that set of circumstances? Well, I mean, Golden State, Houston, I think Golden State, I mean, Mm -hmm. not that I don't think that Houston can't win the series, but I just think Golden State is, you know, they're the best team. Like just they have the talent and you know, Got you. the cohesiveness to be the best team. Got you. No, I mean, I just, and I meant that only to say that even, you know, for every one of these teams, shoe, an injury to any critical player at this stage changes yeah. every series. I watched a four overtime Mind-boggling affair Friday night here at the Motor Center. It was crazy watching the Nuggets and Blazers go back and forth. You knew after the second overtime, which I'm blaming it on you 100%. You tweeted this. You tweeted out last week, and I, I said it at the time. You were a damn jinx. I said he's gonna tweet this out now. You know, before these games, and what have we had? Like, how many overtimes have we had since your tweet? Oh, just the four in your five. game and then one in yeah. in uh, Houston Golden State. Right? Houston Golden State went from zero to five in basically no time. Thanks. Hey, hey at least Thanks you got it. At least you got it in game three. You're staying <laughs> in the city. You're sleeping in the same bed for the next couple nights. Like you know, I'm, if it was if it was game four, I would have felt bad because then it's a travel day. <laughs> you know, any other games going forward, it, it, I feel bad because it's a you know everything now is is game day travel day travel day. Yeah, so. Yeah, um, you got it in game three. You know, you're able to sleep late the next day, I'm sure. So. <laughs> well, no game game four in this series, um, Sunday afternoon was at least local time. It was a four o'clock start here locally. Uh, was extremely interesting because if you were to pick which team would be down or scrambling emotionally or unable to muster the kind of steadiness that you would need to bounce back after uh, a four-overtime game, win or lose, I would have told you a million times out of a million that Denver would be the team that I was going to be worried about. Um, And then I talked to Paul Millsap. And I don't know if it's just because he's like the most laid-back dude of all time or what, but he was so confident Hmm. that they were fine and that they were, you know, that it wasn't the end of the world. Their young guys 
Jamal Murray and, and Jokic have been unreal. Um, the underrated guy for them to me, you watching this series has been Gary Harris. Uh, Michael Malone putting Gary Harris on Dame Lillard. That's the one guy Dame can't turn the corner on and get to his spots. Everybody else, he can either blow past him and get to the rim or he can take advantage of him, you know, off the dribble and get shots off on the perimeter for whatever reason. It just has not worked against Gary Harris. But I say that the series goes back to Denver, obviously, you know, for tomorrow night's game five. I don't have a feeling with three games left and Denver having the home court again and the best home record in the league all season during the regular season. I don't feel like either team has gained a decided edge. They, they, they seem that even to me. Watching them over the course of these first four games, I can't see where the separation is for either team. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's another case of survive and advance. You know, just watching uh, maybe the last, I don't know, six of seven or eight minutes after I had filed my Sixers Raptors story, I turned on the TV at, in Philly <laughs> before mm-hmm. I went on my drive home to watch the last several minutes of that game. Well, obviously, Barton hit a couple big shots, and so did Murray, uh, and so did Harris. But a lot of that is just off the attention that Jokic gets. And I think that is sort of the matchup advantage. I think that I still, I think that's the biggest matchup advantage for either team in the series. Just the fact that you can get, if you can get the Jokic, the ball in the middle of the floor, you're in good shape. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like he just, his, he's his, the toughest matchup. Yeah. By far. And his past, yeah. like, and, and, and the fact that he's a great passer, like it's one thing, like if a guy is a great scorer, and he's not a great scorer, but like any opening that you give him, and if they if those other guys keep moving, any opening op- opening that he sees, he's going to get the ball to that guy on time and on target, whether it be cutting to the basket or getting open behind the arc. I think that like that's what I saw from just from those last several minutes. I mean, you were there, but that uh, but that's what I saw from those last several minutes was just his ability to find guys for open looks, and obviously they got to knock them down. Um, yeah. But that one pass. Well, Barton was you, yeah. Barton. Barton hit, hit those two big threes, but that one pass that he yeah. made, I think it was to Harris for an and one on a cut to yeah. the basket. That was just, I mean, that was just phenomenal. And you know, anything could, I mean, anything could happen in these next two or three games in that series. But I think that's just like the one thing that I would feel confident about going forward is Jokic's ability to uh, to make plays. To me, you're always looking at this stage of a series shoe to see if some if there's a crack in somebody's foundation. Like, is there something that's been breached four games? In, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, can it be exploited to the point where you can win a series in five or six? You know, I mean, in six games as opposed to seven. I'm still not sure if I've seen the breach in either team that needs to be there for one of them to win two straight games. Could be right. You know, we'll find out, obviously. Game five is Tuesday night at Pepsi Center, 1030 Eastern on TNT. I'm genuinely excited, though, to watch all these You know, every, whenever I get a chance to watch it, any of the other series I'm not covering, I'm enjoying it because I realize when you focus on one series, and I was talking to an assistant from one of the teams yesterday before the game, and he was making this point that I think a lot of us overlook throughout the course of a regular season. And he said to me, do you realize how hard it is for us to get good, clean shots against a team that we, you know, basically in a foxhole against every day for a week? Yeah. The NBA regular season doesn't lend itself 
to the same kind of preparation you have to have for the postseason. That's why when you, you hear people say, well, the playoffs is a different season. It's a whole new season. It is literally, yes. seriously, a whole new season. Yeah, I mean, like just the, the preparation, yeah. everything. Matchups like the the Ibaka Gasolga sample that they sample example that they just didn't play together. And yeah. then now it's like, oh, we got to use these. And some guys that are in your rotation all year long become unplayable in a series. For Philadelphia, like, you know, TJ McConnell, unplayable in the playoffs. Like, he just can't right. can't do it. Um, right. Boban, who was terrific against Brooklyn, unplayable in the in the <laughs> right. conference right. semis. Toronto, like I said, shortened their rotation. You know, Van Vliet can't hang. They played six guys in the second half. It's just amazing. Like, it's, it is totally different. It's, you know, one team in front of you, game planning for that one team. It's about execution, execution of a game plan. And then, you know, uh, Brett Brown talked about it in both of these series. It's like they wanted to have like a foundational game plan. He, he was talking mm-hmm. about the defensive end of the floor and hope that the sort of foundation of what you want to do is right. And then from that, you can make tweaks, you know, here and there from game to game right. or quarter to quarter even. Um, right. But you just want to make sure that the foundation is right. And then one, after that, like, okay, if it's not, then you're, then you've got to make real adjustments and, and start from scratch almost. And I don't think anybody, any, I don't think any team in this series is, is look at, in, in any of these four series is looking at like, oh my God, what are we doing? What are we going to do now? Yeah. I think they all have the belief that they can win any of these series, even Houston losing those first two games, they lost them by a combined 10 points. You know? 10 points, yeah. What does Boston think they have to do? And this is us kind of <laughs> peeking over and looking at these other series that we're not covering, but it's what we do around here on the Hangtime Podcast. What does Boston adjust in game four? They go out and, and kind of shocked everybody in that first game, but they've been on the wrong end of the jab since then. You know, they haven't been able to deal with what Giannis and the Bucks have brought to bear. And I, I'm just curious, what is it that Boston can tweak on the fly here to change the trajectory of what's going on in their series. Cause again, we, I think we all fall victim to it. Somebody wins. We think they have this quote unquote momentum. They lose. They've lost that momentum. The other team gets momentum. I don't know if it's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you look at that series, you know, the difference between Boston's win in game one and Milwaukee's two wins is on the Milwaukee end of the floor where they really struggled offensively in game one. And then, since then, you know, and over the last two games, they've shot 42% from three. Antetokounmpo has averaged 30. Uh, Middleton's averaged 24, shooting uh, 10 for 16 for three-point range over those two games. You know, Boston's got to get stops. They've got to figure out how they can keep Antetokounmpo from getting to the basket and getting to the free-throw line. I mean, he's got 40 free-throw attempts in two games. While also, you know, being able to contest out on the perimeter, it's, I mean, this has the, been the Milwaukee offense from day one, you know, this it's, it's a space, the floor and attack. And if the defense collapses, find shooters and it's not an, you know, you can, you can maybe take away one of those two things, but you can't really take away both given how talented and freakish that Antetokounmpo is and get in his ability to get to the basket. So you've got to pick one. And I think the, the one to pick is to stop him from getting to the basket, continue to stop that um, and hope you don't foul as much. And then hope that Milwaukee can't shoot as well from the outside. 
I think, um, you know, and, and outside shooting is a story in a lot of these series and a lot of these games. Do you think sitting around hoping that Kyrie goes nuclear or, you know, Marcus Smart comes back, gives you, I mean, is that, is that too simple a thing for Boston to hang this game on? It's just getting some otherworldly effort from somebody that, that kind of tips things in their favor? Or does it have to be something more strategic and measured than just, hey, this guy's got to go off? No, I mean, smart, I think, can definitely help you. I don't know if you sort of, if he comes back and he's he's good to go, if you throw him on Middleton or something like that to try to take away his space. Mm-hmm. But as far as the offense is concerned, you just got to execute your game plan, know where Milwaukee is going to, what Milwaukee is going to give you and try to execute as well as you can. If that means Irving is is got... You know, angles to the basket, which I don't think you're going to get much against the Milwaukee defense, then that's what it is. If it's Irving making decisions out of the pick and roll and and passing and the ball moving until somebody is open, then that's what you got to do. I think you can't ask one player to try to carry you um, as much as that's worked for uh, Toronto and and Golden State to a degree. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to execute and play team basketball because I think that's when that team is at its best. I thought in game one, Irving's sort of pick and roll decisions were really, really good. And his, you know, playing pick and pop with Horford was, you know, basically the, what killed the Bucks in that game. So right. if you can go back to that, I mean, you need other guys, to, you know, obviously Jason Tatum, you need more from him. You got to see what you can get in transition first of all, but Milwaukee is, is a tough, is, a, is probably a better defensive team than they are offensive team. Maybe this is the other series where one team, makes itself clear that it's the better team. And it wouldn't surprise me to see Milwaukee take care of business in this series. But you know what? Like, like, I mean, I've said it before, you know, Boston, I think, is a better playoff team than regular season team because of their ability to execute a game plan against one particular opponent. So um, if we continue to see that uh, in game four, they certainly have a shot. I'm waiting for a star turn. I, I need Kyrie to go ham, <laughs> you know, because we've seen star players on every team, you know, the, 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 the real stars on each and every team that's still playing in the postseason. I mean, maybe letting him play a little bit more one-on-one is the, is the, you know, yeah, is the wrinkle that you need sometimes less pick and roll. And so that you don't bring a sort of second defender in the picture. And I mean, that one, I forget, step back behind the back step back three that he hit early in one of those games. I forget which game it was. I think it was mm-hmm. game three it was ridiculous. Yeah, it was game three. They sort of went out on a 10 two run and he had a, a sort of a semi transition behind the back move into a step back three. That was just ridiculous. And if you can, if you can get more of that, sure. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. That's the first game tonight. The, the finale in the last game we'll talk about today. Warriors Rockets which is following that game on TNT tonight in the doubleheader. What the hell, Stubby? What the hell's going on with Steph? I mean, he's getting roasted, obviously, on the internet. I'm, I'm not surprised at how the vitriol, you know, for his performance in this playoffs. Steph seems to turn into a punching bag a lot of times in the playoffs because he can't, I guess, go to that level, that next level fans think he should go to for a player of his caliber. But was it, was it me or was it a little over the top, kind of all the – the the blowback he was taking after some miscues in game three. And, and and I'm not trying to minimize it. It was clearly if if he plays to Steph levels, they're probably up 3-0 in that series. Or at least there's a very good chance it could have been up 3-0 in that series. He hasn't played up up to par by any means, Shu, but 
Is it is it the response, the reaction a little over the top to you? I, I couldn't tell you because I don't know what all the re- reaction and response is. <laughs> I haven't paid attention to whatever to whatever you're talking about, whether it be social media or it's something on TV. Um, I guess I've missed it. I'll say this. Maybe, you know, his finger is an issue. I think it's his, he's got a what, dislocated finger on his offhand. Uh, yeah, and he's not making that an issue at all. No, he's... He's just saying, hey, I got to play. You know, he's owning right. it, which I love about Steph. Like, hey, I got to play better. Yeah. Maybe Durant having, you know, his usage being up has something mm-hmm. to do with it. Where, where Durant's just playing a little bit too much one-on-one for other guys to get comfortable. But I will say this. Like, if you look at the difference in this series, like in the games in the series, it's on the other end of the floor. And if you even even if you look at. Houston Houston versus Golden State over the last two seasons, all the games they've played over the last two seasons. The difference in the Houston wins versus the Golden State wins is on the Houston side of the floor in Houston's offense. Like if Golden State holds that offense down, they win. And if and so the, the bigger difference in, in the Rockets' wins and losses is in their own offense. And I was going through it. I was just going through like each individual player against Golden State um, mm-hmm. over the last two years. And – it's not necessarily about one guy. It's not like, oh, if Harden scores 35-plus, the Rockets win. Or if Eric Gordon has a big game like he did the other night, the Rockets win. It's not if P.J. Tucker hits three, three threes, the Rockets win. It's like they're all their sort of – if you just look at their game-by-game game and their scoring, it's sort of muddled results in that. But they just need something offensively, right, from, from two or three guys in order to hang because they've actually defended the Warriors relatively well over these last two years. And it's more about their offense. And like, if, if they score somewhat efficiently, they can win. They can beat the Warriors. If they don't, they don't. And so, yes, Curry can obviously shoot better. He's uh, eight for 32 from three point range in the series. But I think, you know, the difference in these games has been on the other end of the floor. And the Rockets' offense has gotten a little bit better in each game in this series. And that would be uh, my focus if I'm Golden State. I wouldn't worry about Curry. He's going to come around. I would just make sure. Um, we know what we're doing defensively, and we can, uh, whether it's keep Harden in check or it's keep everybody else in check, we have a, a game plan where we can have a better defensive game than we had in game three. Yeah. I mean, it, it bears watching each and every series. There's so much in the weeds in these series. And as you mentioned, you know, you haven't, you haven't been able to pay attention or haven't paid attention to all the stuff going on with Steph. There's so much, you you know, if you consume with one series, covering one series, the ability to to get outside of that on the days that series isn't playing and really get a full understanding of what's going on in another one is difficult. You know, I'm reading everybody else's stuff, obviously, on NBA.com, shameless plug for, for the home team there, and watching postgame pressers and everything else and on social media, you know, trying to get a feel for why things are happening the way they are in these other series. And it's it is not easy keeping up um, and and really understanding what's going on. I I, I have to do a a better job of this in in this Boston Milwaukee series, especially. That's the one that I've seen the least of for whatever reason. So I'm doing you know, I'm overtime, kind of trying to read up on what's happening and get an understanding for you know why things are the way they are right now. Which series do you think of the four? And it's the last thing I'll ask you today, and before I let you get out of here and do your thing. Um, which series of these four do you think is the closest to turning in one direction for one team in terms of the who do you think has the best opportunity 
between now and when we talk again on Thursday of this week to be done? Who's got a chance to finish off their series between, you think, the best chance to finish off their series? So it's basically either between the Warriors or the Bucks. Um, yes. I think it's Milwaukee. I think they've clearly been the best team in the East all year. Uh, like we've talked mm-hmm. about plenty that the playoffs are totally different. And then Boston, I think, is a totally different team in the postseason. But, you know, you've got to be encouraged by what you've seen in the last two games. But it wouldn't shock me if either of these t- series was over by Thursday. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't shock me if either of them went to seven, really. Sure, everybody's still playing. <laughs> um, just because Houston has the ability to beat Golden State on every any given night. Boston has the ability to beat Milwaukee on any given night. And like we said, playoffs are different from the regular season. Every playoff game is different from the, the one that preceded it, really. Like, yeah, I thought in in the Philly-Toronto series, we were, see, we were seeing some sort of evolution. You know, game one was... Uh, Toronto better on both ends of the floor. Game two was an ugly defensive game that Philly edged out. And then game three, Philly, you know, was we saw like the full force of that starting lineup and how good it really was. And then they took a step backward in game four. And so I think right. it's there's no, uh, you know, things don't necessarily trend in one direction or the other within a series. And anything can happen on any given night. So I'm just excited to watch it all. Like, and I'm gra- I'm, I'm excited that tonight's doubleheader is in, is 7, 9, and 9.30. So I can <laughs> stay up to watch most of it um, before I fly back out to Toronto tomorrow morning. So that's, I mean, I, I love it. I mean, it, it's, 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 a, it's a great, I, I don't know if the second round has ever been as intriguing as it is right now. Just looking at these series, two, 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 one, two, one. Like that's, I mean, that's that's all we could ask for, really. And 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 it's not just on the east side. Like that Portland Denver series that you're covering is a whole lot of fun too. And it doesn't matter to me that whoever wins that series will will be the clear underdog in the next one. Like I, I just, uh, I, I'm enjoying for what it is. No doubt. As you mentioned, doubleheader tonight on TNT, seven o'clock, Boston, Milwaukee. Immediately after that, Warriors Rockets teeing it up again. Uh, our our series will be on tap Tuesday night. Uh, I'm heading back to Denver. I know you're heading back to Toronto. We will dive back into these playoffs, shoe. And I, you know, normally this time of year, you think, "Oh man, you're going to be spent season so long." The playoffs. I'm I'm feeling fresh. I, I'm the games have been so good. The, you know, the action has been such that I'm loving it. I'm I'm not exhausted or spent at all watching these series. I, I'm looking forward to where this road takes us for each and every one of these series in the next few days. So we'll be back on Thursday with a guest to be determined. I haven't decided who I'm most interested to talk to. I think we need to see a little bit more of what goes on in the next couple of days before we figure that out. But we'll be here on Thursday with another episode of the Hangtime Podcast. You can follow all of the playoff coverage on NBA TV and NBA.com. Be sure to subscribe to Hangtime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes all season long. Make sure you leave a review. For our producer in Atlanta, John Hartzell, as always, appreciate him pulling this thing together. John Schumann in New Jersey, Seku Smith, we will be back in your earlobes at some point soon, right here on the Hangtime Podcast.